Psalm 103 begins with, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And this is a song written by King David. So when we're reading this, they are lyrics to a song. And it's a call to worship. It's a call to praise and to remember what the Lord has done for every single one of our, uh, the believers. There are lesson guides in the back. Um, And you don't have to use the lesson guide, but it does kind of keep us all on the same part of the study. So Psalm 103 is a call to worship. And I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible as usual. But you can follow along in whatever translation or paraphrase you have. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But... The loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, thank you 
for these women who are here this morning that want to know you better. And I thank you for your word that reveals yourself to us. I pray that as we look at it this morning that your spirit would teach each one of us. Write our hearts, Lord, before you so that we can hear from you. And I thank you for all you are doing and have done. We praise you for Jesus who came to die for us. And it's in his name that we can come to you. So we thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned, this is a call to worship the Lord. And unlike many times when we are singing songs on a Sunday morning, we may not even be thinking about the words that we're singing. They're just words on a page that we're trying to follow along. But if we're really worshiping, our mind will be engaged with what we are thinking, what we are singing and proclaiming. So this call to worship, David is saying, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. How are you and I able to bless the Lord? We usually expect blessing from him, don't we? <laughs> but the word there for bless means to worship, to kneel, to bow down. And it's that we do this, we bless his holy name. His very name is holy. The word there for Lord is Yahweh. It's a word that the scribes wouldn't write and the rabbis wouldn't even speak because it was so holy. And we find in today's world that his name gets thrown out like an expletive. It gets thrown out as an exclamation. It is not revered and made holy anymore. He knew this was a problem. And one of the commandments that he gave to us was not to take his name in vain. Don't say it as an empty word. It is to be holy. He is our heavenly father, the almighty, the sovereign God. So we should be holy in our reverence to him, giving him the due that he is worth and not throw it around like it is nothing. You know, it always amazes me that people don't say, oh, my Buddha. <laughs> or even our husband's names, oh, my Bobby. I would never take his name like that. But it's so easy for us to follow the world's lead, and pretty soon OMG is just a cute little phrase. And it's not, ladies. His name is to be holy. I don't always have, I always have tears. <laughs> I don't always have a word that I think about um, for the year. I, several years ago, it seemed like every year there was a word I was just supposed to be intentional about working on. And I haven't had one for a few years. Um, maybe that's a rebellious spirit. I don't know. I've asked the Lord. He hasn't given it to me. But this year, he did. And I wasn't even asking. But this year, um, the phrase, holy, his, has become something that I've been more intentional about. And I think it's because, as we were talking beforehand, we like to watch those little reels that are on YouTube. And, excuse me, I need a drink. Um, and... Uh, and they can be consuming. I mean, I can sit for hours just flipping through those. 
it's on Instagram or whatever. And Bobby will be in the room and he'll like, what are you doing? Because I'm over there cracking up. I've got my earbuds and he doesn't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm like, oh, this, you should see this. This is so funny. These dogs are hysterical or whatever it is. But I can spend hours on that. But yet I find it hard to take my 10 minutes in the morning to spend in his word. Something is wrong with that. So this year, he has given me the idea that I am to be holy, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy his, completely his. How I spend my time, how I look at things, how I interact with other people, I am to be wholly his. And this call to worship is much the same, isn't it? He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. If our focus is on him, our reactions to this world are going to be so vastly different. And in the past, we've looked at our position in Christ Jesus, that at the moment of salvation, we are placed into that sphere of grace of Christ. We are placed into him. According to Titus 2.14, we become his possession, and we are sealed there by the Holy Spirit. And as we've looked at that, we see that, that it's a holy encompassed in Christ. We become his treasured possession, according to Titus 2.14. And so we are sealed there, becoming his treasured possession. That is our positional truth, right? That is really who we are. Once we accept Christ as our Savior, we are his. We're no longer our own. But we don't live that way. We don't live as if we are wholly his. We kind of hang on to a few of those things that we like about ourselves or that we enjoy to do. And we don't necessarily walk in fellowship with him. We just are his, but mm, I'm just going to hang on to a little bit of me over here because I'm fun. Right? That's maybe our thought process. And it's not his thought process. We need to submit to the control of the Spirit minute by minute so that we are ruled by him and not by our own lusts, as the book of James talks about. So the psalm begins with, bless the Lord. And as I said, the word bless in the text means to kneel in a position of worship and humility, verbally giving praise out of the depths of our inner self. Not just flippantly saying, yeah, he's God Almighty, and he's good, but no, do we mean it? Is it coming from our heart that we really understand who our God is? He goes on to say, forget none of his benefits. So let's take a look at some of those benefits. They're pretty vast in here. Um, the first thing he says is, forget none of his benefits, chapter, or verse 2, then chap, huh, chapter 103, verse 3. I'll get it straight in a minute here. He pardons all our iniquities. And if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you have received a royal pardon for every sin you have ever committed 
and will ever commit in the future. But don't take that as a license to sin, ladies, because he is our heavenly father. And as we see in Hebrews chapter 12, he disciplines his own. He will discipline us to bring us back and to change our behavior. So abusing his grace is not the direction that we want to go. We do have this incredible truth, though, that he has pardoned our iniquities, our sin, and our transgressions, as we saw in verses 10 and 12. So what is the difference between sin, iniquities, and transgressions? I had to know, because why did he list three different things in three different ways? Well, sin is an archery term. When you pull back your bow and you shoot your arrow, you are aiming at a bullseye. And the target may be this big, but that bullseye is pretty small in the middle. And so the archer would pull back his bow and the arrow would fly and someone at the other end where the target was, if he missed the bullseye, he would yell, sin. That was the word they used to say, you missed the bullseye, you missed the mark. So we have defined sin as missing the mark. And it means missing the mark of God's righteousness. He is holy and perfect. And anything separate from that is sin. Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And wouldn't we be in big, big trouble if that's where he left us? Since we also see in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But in that same verse, he says, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sin is missing the mark. So what is iniquities? Iniquities refers to sin as well, but it has a specific focus. And its focus is on having the liability of guilt for our sin. So when it says he pardons us from our iniquities, he has pardoned us from the guilt that goes along with that, from the cost of what that is. So that wages of sin is death. He has removed that from us in Christ Jesus. So the focus is on the liability or the guilt of the sin. And that's what iniquity is. Whereas transgressions which are also sins, they focus on the rebellious nature of our sin. Now, ladies, we know there are sins that we just do without even thinking about them. They're just kind of reflexive action to or response or something that we do. Those are just sins, right? But then iniquity has that guilt and that liability that's got to be taken care of, and that's where Jesus Christ comes in. And transgressions, the focus are on being rebellious. There are times when you and I purposely choose to sin. We know it's wrong, but we're going to do it anyway. Because we must know better than God that it's good for us or that it'll bring enjoyment, right? So there are times when we are just specifically rebellious to what we know to be true, and we sin regardless of what the consequences will be. 
And we know there will be consequences because if you are his, he disciplines his own. If the sin issue was the only thing that we knew about who God was and the way that he deals with it is to remove it and to cast it as far as the east is from the west, to remove that liability from us and to take that sin and just take it and put it on Jesus. If that was the only thing we knew about him, we should be on our knees praising him. But there's more. <laughs> so like one of those commercials, but there's more. There is so much more. In verse 3, it goes on to say he heals all our diseases. Now we know our God is a healer. He is able to heal us from all types of disease. Physically, emotionally, mentally, and most importantly, spiritually. He is our healer. But does he always heal us physically? No. And King David knew this better than any. Remember the child that he had with Bathsheba? That child died. David was in prayer and fasting for seven days over that child. Please don't let him die. But God took him home. We don't understand why God allows some of those things to happen, but from his word and what it teaches, we can know that it all has purpose. Every bit of suffering has purpose. We could wonder why, but we know that sometimes it takes the physical illness to draw us closer to God. Sometimes it takes a physical illness to make us dependent on him for our next step or what we do next. Um, you know, when our daughter was going through her cancer treatments, my husband said, somebody asked my husband, how do you feel about that with God? And he said, who else would I want my daughter to be in the hands of? than God, her creator. So God heals our diseases, but maybe not in the way that we would want him to. He can heal us spiritually through our not healing us physically. Remember Paul, the apostle, prayed three times, Lord, please remove this illness from me. Take this thorn in the flesh away. And all three times God said, nope. And Paul, after three times, said, okay, I'll accept it and live with it. And then in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, he writes this conclusion. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Not only did he have the thorn in the flesh at this time, but that man was sitting in prison when he wrote those words. The ladies, I want you to understand the secret that he is talking about, ladies, is in the next verse. 
This one should be memorized by all of us. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we may not know why he chooses to allow pain to remain, but one thing we can know without a doubt, there is a purpose in the suffering, just as there was for Jesus, who suffered and died on the cross for us. We all deal with illness, pain, suffering, but how we choose to respond to it can be where the true healing comes in. Our job is to trust his timing and his purpose. And of course, the biggest healing of all happened when we accepted Jesus as our savior because it was then that we were birthed with a spirit that could communicate with God and be one with him. And he removed the disease of sin in our life. We are no longer under the control of a sin nature. Anytime we sin, it's because we have given control back to that sin nature. And of course, we are raised with it in us. We, we have been so ingrained with sinful behaviors that we have to retrain ourselves. We have to transform, be transformed. And Romans says that's by the renewing of our mind, right? If we are renewing our mind, we will be transformed. He removed its power of sin over us, and he has made us overcomers. And we need to remember that. The next benefit that King David lists is that he redeems your life from the pit. Redeem means to pay a ransom. It's the act of releasing and setting free. He has purchased us from the slave market of sin, and he has set us free from it. The word pit (laughs) is defined as, get a load of this, slime pit. A mass of organic, putrid, liquid matter. That's how the Bible dictionary that this word comes from. And it's grossly descriptive. But that's where we were before Christ. He has redeemed us out of that slimy pit, that muck and mire that we were in. And when his grace came in, he redeemed us. And then he crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. Every victor needs a crown. And the Bible tells us of several that God is going to give to us. But we don't always live victoriously, do we? (laughs) Our choices lead us right back into the pit that he pulled us out of. And his grace has supplied his spirit within every believer. So when we go back into that mucky mire, we're taking him back with us. That's a picture that really speaks to my heart. I don't want to drag my Lord through the muck and the mire. But sometimes I choose to. The Spirit comes fully equipped with all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, 
And then that other one that really gets me, self-control. <laughs> All of that he put in us so that we don't have to succumb to going back to the pit of slime that we came from. That fruit of the Spirit is there to help us to live in a self-controlled way that is victorious in Christ Jesus. To be crowned with his loving kindness is to have loyalty, to, to have reliability. It blends strength and steadfastness and love together. And we are able to exhibit those things then as we walk with him and work out his character within us as well as compassion. Now, compassion is having mercy or pity, favor, instead of being under judgment or deserved punishment. That's what we have in Christ. And yet there's even more. <laughs> he satisfies our years with good things. He satisfies our years with good things. He fills us to the full with good things. Did you know that that word good is the same word that he used at the end of each day of creation when he would look back over what he made that day and he would say, it is good. It is the same word that he has given to us. And what it means is it's valuable and it's useful for its purpose. The things that God created were valuable and they were useful for a purpose. And it, this is an adjective describing the type of things that God satisfies us with. They're valuable and they are useful for his purpose in our life. Useful for us achieving his will in our life. And beyond that, while we are doing his will, we will be fully supplied so that the next benefit is our youth is renewed like the eagle. Does that remind anyone of another verse? Renewed like the eagle. Isaiah 40, 31 says, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And what is the key to being renewed? Waiting on the Lord. We're not very good at waiting, are we? You know, it's hard to wait. But when we're waiting on the Lord, if we're not waiting on the Lord and we're trying to accomplish it on our own, we are going to burn out. We're going to wear out faster than pair of flip-flops on St. Croix. <laughs> but when we wait for the Lord, he renews, he restores, and he makes us new. If the Holy Spirit is our power source, which is what God gives us when he comes to live inside of us, then there's nothing that we can't accomplish that he has set before us. We will run and we will not grow weary. Those are some amazing benefits from the Lord. But you know, a promise is only as good as the one who is making the promise, right? David changes the line of thinking to then who the Lord is. So let's take a look at his character. The Lord performs righteous deeds. He performs righteous deeds. He does all the work. 
Only a holy and righteous God could perform righteous deeds. He is the gold standard of righteousness. Isn't it a comforting thing that God can only ever do what is right? So many people want to blame him for things, but he can only do what is right. It is his character. He cannot do anything but that which is right. There is so much corruption and injustice in this world, but God has no corruption in his character. There is no flaw to be found. He is perfect. And because he is the standard, he can be the judge and the jury to those who oppress others. And he will give justice for the oppressed. You know, another psalm that David wrote was 73. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I have looked around me and I thought, how come they're getting all the good stuff? How come those people out there that don't know the Lord are just getting fat, dumb, and happy? And I'm over here suffering. <laughs> Why is that? David apparently thought the same thing. In fact, he says in Psalm 73, he talks about being envious of the arrogant, and he sees the prosperity of the wicked, and that they wear pride as their necklace, and their garment of violence covers them, their eyes bulge from fatness, and the imaginations of their heart run riot. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. And they say, how does God know? God doesn't know, right? But he says, I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. They're out there having so much fun, and I'm over here suffering. And then verse 17 comes along, and David says, until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived their end. Surely you will set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. We've read the end of the book. We know that victory is ours, right? In the Lord, victory is ours. So when we get overwhelmed by the injustice and the corruption of this world, we just have to remember their time is coming. And there is a holy judge who will only strive with them for a little while. <laughs> and then he is going to give them their just desserts. He performs righteous deeds, and he will give justice to the oppressed. The next characteristic that we see is that God reveals himself. He reveals himself. He's not hiding. The Bible says if we seek him, we will find him. Well, actually, it says if you seek him with your heart, we will find him. <laughs> Some people say, oh, I tried God. He didn't work. But did they really seek him with their whole heart? If we seek him, we will find him. God reveals himself. In verses 7, he says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. 
We know Moses saw God revealed in a burning bush. We know that God revealed himself, a portion of himself, um, to Moses as he held Moses in the cleft of a rock, covered him with his hand, passed by, and then after he went by, he just moved his hand so that Moses could get a glimpse of God's glory. And that glory shone on Moses' face so much that the Israelites were afraid, and they didn't want to see it. So he had to wear a veil until it faded. I pray our glory never fades, that everyone would always be able to be feared of the Lord because of the glory they see reflected on our face. Moses had to wear a veil, but God also revealed himself through his acts to the sons of Israel. Now remember the sons of Israel are the sons of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and the 12 sons that he had became the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Israel became a nation as Abraham's children. So there's all three versions of Israel that we need to keep in mind when we're reading the Word of God, that Israel was a person, he was a tribe, and he was a nation. And so it, it's more than just the person. But he says he revealed himself through his acts to the sons of Israel. Well, what kind of acts did he reveal himself through? Well, he took them out of slavery. He took them to the Red Sea and parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. They turned back, and his, their enemy was swallowed up in the sea that the Lord uh, closed back over the Egyptians. We saw that their shoes never wore out, unlike us on St. Croix. <laughs> their shoes never wore out. For the 40 years that they walked in that desert, their shoes never wore out. They had manna every morning. Um, they had discipline for the times that they got out of line with God. He showed them, revealed himself to them through his acts of discipline. He reveals himself to us. He has revealed himself through his word. He has revealed himself through different interactions that we've had. He has revealed himself through um, so many different things. For me, you know, I, I love hearts, and he's always revealing himself through hearts to me. Whether I'm diving in the sea or clouds in the sky, my husband just laughs, thinks I'm ridiculous, but he is always revealing himself to me. As I studied his word this week, as I expressed before we began, he revealed himself to me through his word. God reveals himself. Do you remember the story of uh, Abraham and Sarah being told they were going to have a child and they kind of took things into their own hands and Sarah said, I'm too old. I am never going to have a child. So just take my handmaid, Hagar, and have a child with her, which he did, um, which was odd to us. But in that day, whatever child the slave had belonged to the owner so that became her child supposedly but we see the story didn't end that way but Hagar when she's cast away from um, Abraham and Sarah after she has Ishmael she runs into the desert and she's crying out 
Now, she is a Gentile. She's not of Abraham's lineage. She's not an Israelite. She's a Gentile. So she's, you know, a Gentile is just anyone who's not Israeli. (laughs) So she was not only Gentile, but she was a slave. But she cries out to Abram's God. And she gives him the name El Roy. E-L, capital R-O-I. El Roy. And the words mean the God who sees. He saw her, a Gentile slave that had had a child that was not wanted, and he saw her and met her in her time of need. He reveals himself to all of us. Romans 1 says that all are without excuse because his very creation reveals himself. So he reveals himself to us. And if we learn anything from his dealings with the Israelites, we know that his character is one that is compassionate and gracious. It's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He has an abundance of these attributes. And we can praise him for each one of them. In verse 17, we see his loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. It's not going to run out. While we are but dust, he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is merciful when we deserve death. He is gracious, providing all we need. He is patient, oh, so very patient. (laughs) And he is loyal and faithful. That love is everlasting. And the final attribute I want to look at is the fact that he is sovereign. He is sovereign. There is no other God like our God. He created all. He rules over all. Verse 19 says, He has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. There is nothing that can happen to us that has not been filtered through his loving and compassionate hands. We've got to believe that, ladies. There is nothing that can happen to us that hasn't been filtered through his loving and compassionate hands. He is sovereign. What is intended for evil, he will turn to good. Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses, my life verse. And we know that he causes all things for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So whatever is going on in our life, he is going to take that, which was intended for evil, and he is going to use it to shape and mold us to be more like Christ. King David adds an instruction at the end of this chapter, the end of this song, to the angels and the hosts who are in heaven. Verse 20, he says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, 
mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, all you his angels. You know, so often I see it where people have lost a loved one to death. And they're comforted by other people saying, well, now you have an angel in heaven. No, they don't. We don't become angels when we go to heaven. We are in Christ when we go to heaven. The angels are his servants. When we go to heaven, we will be as victors. We will actually reign over the angels in the new heaven and the new earth. So we are not going to become angels when we die. We don't get our wings like the cute little Hallmark Christmas story tells us. Um, We are something a little bit higher than that when we die. And we can praise his name for that. But for these angels, they are supernatural beings, a class of their own. God created them before he created us. Okay? So before he created man, he created the hosts. He created the heavens. He created the angels. Otherwise, when would the serpent have been able to tempt Eve in the garden? Do you ever think about that? Satan had already fallen out of heaven. Lucifer had already been cast down out of heaven when he came to tempt Eve. So we are right now having these angels as we are being used by God as his servants, the two-thirds that remained with him. Um, And verse 20 describes the hosts as those who, oh, excuse me, he describes the angels, his hosts, as mighty in strength, performing his word, obeying the voice of his word. And then there are the hosts who serve him doing his will. And that word hosts is a military term, meaning an army. It's a large fighting unit. And are we not in a spiritual battle? But thank the Lord, he provides his angels to fight that battle for us. He has an army that is fighting that spiritual battle for us. So I guess we could list that as another benefit for us. But we'll we'll leave that in the um, praising category. So what is our response to be to all of this? Well, look back at verses 11, 13, and 17 with me. Let's look at 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. Verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But the loving kindness of the Lord in verse 17 is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Ladies, we are to fear the Lord God. And the word fear is not be afraid of and cower and hide. No, it's to have a profound reverential respect for a superior over us. He is mindful that we are but dust. 
But how mindful are we that he is God? He is God. We are to revere him and his word, giving them priority in our lives. Holy his. When we do, we will experience his loving kindness and compassion and all the other benefits that come with knowing him. And then as we humble ourselves, recognizing who he is, and how could we not? We are to bless him. David calls for all to bless the Lord, all that are in him, all that have received his pardon, his healing, his redemption, his crowns, his satisfying with good things, all that surround him in the heavens and all of us have reason after reason to bless the Lord with all that is within us. Well, what do you think? Do you revere him? Are you able to praise him this morning?